visitor we welcome here today. Uh, if you would, members, look around. If someone next to you doesn't have a Bible or not sure where, to, where we're reading from, you'd share your Bible with them, help them find their place. That would be a blessing. Matthew 27, I'm going to read verses 45 and 46. And then I'd like us to go to Isaiah 53, if you would, this morning. But you notice these words? Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isaiah 53, if you would, please. Verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And notice this, with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our Father, this morning we thank you for that hill called Mount Calvary. That place called Golgotha. It was called the place of a skull. It was a place etched into our hearts and our minds as the location where our Savior died on the cross for every sinner. His sinless blood was shed as the payment price which silver and gold could not buy. That every sin would be paid for in full. That every sinner could be atoned for. And redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, could be made available to all. This Father, I pray you help me this morning. There's no way humanly, myself or any preacher in this world, can preach and take this passage and understand exactly all that Jesus went through. But we know that those who put their faith and trust in that death and shed blood of Christ, they can have forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. For many of us here this morning, we pray that, Lord, our consciences and hearts would be revived and stirred as we revisit that hill on which Jesus died on. That place where darkness covered the land for three long, lonely hours. Where God the Father could not communicate with God the Son. He would not communicate with Him. There, the will of God was done. The sin was paid for in full. Christ accomplished the will of the Father. 
Father, this morning we read these verses and we can't help but think about Jesus being wounded. Jesus being bruised. The statement like the chastisement of our peace. And by his stripes we are healed. Lord, this morning move us and bring tears to our eyes and a tug in our heart, we pray this morning, that Christ should be glorified. And we know that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. And even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God, we lift up Jesus way above so that all can see him. May we not see a man, we not see a church, not see a program. We see Christ who died on the cross for every sinner. A risen Christ, a living Christ. And even as we sang this morning, because he lives, I shall live also. Bless, I pray this morning that we'd meet with us. I pray for the fullness of the spirit, the power of God. I pray, God, that you'd meet with us here in this congregation. We ask these things of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are in the Sunday that's before Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And most of the, the calendars around the world today is aptly called Palm Sunday. It celebrates that day which is recorded in Scripture when Jesus made his triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem and the people took palm leaves and waved them and cried out Hosanna in the highest. And yet those same people that cheered him wound up being the same people that jeered him, that, that yelled out, crucify him just a few days later. And as we look forward to this coming weekend, I pray that you'll put on your prayer calendar beginning today to pray intensely for the Easter musical, which is to be next Saturday and Sunday. We've talked much about it next Saturday at 1230. We have a great children's outreach and we have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of invitations that have gone out and children have embraced the children of our church have embraced this opportunity and have gone to their elementary schools and given it out and families have given it out and we're anticipating a large number of children coming to a treasure hunt that we're going to have at Monroe Elementary School and the field that connects that and and then from there we're that evening at 5 30 in the evening here in this this heritage center we're going to have the first of two presentations of our Jesus Saves Easter musical and just looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, his life and his giving of his life for us, his death on the cross. And then the opportunity of presenting to people the fact that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Amen. He's a risen savior. Now, Christ rose again from the dead. And through that, an opportunity for your friends and my friends and your family, my family and our neighbors and our co-workers, people we know to hear the gospel. And we're praying that Saturday night again, repeated Sunday morning at our normal, regular morning service at 1015, that many will trust Jesus Christ as Savior. We invite you next Sunday to come back for our, our, our adult growth groups in the morning and join us here in the audit, in the, in the Heritage Center for, a, for something here in the college department. One of the, the adult, one of the growth groups there and come for a time of refreshment and word of encouragement. Then we're going to get right into the service and just really praying that God will meet with us in a very, very special way. And then for all of our members on Sunday night, we're having the, we're going to kind of tile that together at the Lord's table and we're just asking God to meet with us and we're praising God for the opportunity to preach the gospel. But this morning, this morning, I want us, as we as a prelude to all that, I want us to go back to the place where Jesus died on the cross for us. For all these years, we've had our church from day one, always the week before we've had the Resurrection Sunday. We've tried our best just to take the, the passages from the gospel, from the epistles, or from the Old Testament that talk about the death of Christ and help us revisit that place called Calvary or Golgotha, the place where Jesus died for you and me. The place where we just read in Matthew 27, 45, that when Jesus hung on that cross on the sixth hour, from the sixth to the ninth hour, our 12 noon to three o'clock in the afternoon, that darkness covered the entire land. I'm not talking about an eclipse. 
I'm not talking about something that lasted just for 60 seconds. I'm talking about darkness covered the land. It's like somebody turning off the light and darkness covering and shrouding over the entire landscape for three long, horrible, terrible hours. And all of the land there watched and listened as Jesus groaned in the dark and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I want to say this morning as we're looking at this that I'm thankful this day that Jesus died for my sins and your sins. I'm thankful that Jesus was the perfect Savior that gave Himself for us. And sometimes we can get so much into the minutia and so much of the routine of the Christian life and doing our thing and going to our ministries and reading our Bible. We tend to forget that it's all about Jesus and not all about us. It's all about the fact He gave Himself for us. And I want you to go with me this morning to Calvary, that place where Jesus died. I want you to envision with me and grow back your mind that the Holy Spirit of God helped you and I to go back to what Isaiah saw when he wrote, he wrote Isaiah 53 and what David saw when David wrote Psalms 22 because they were not there, but they were given a foreshadowing in those, those passages of Scripture of what all that Jesus would go through today. And so this morning, as we go back to Golgotha, would you notice this passage this morning as we look at this place called Mount Calvary? Notice first from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 5, we see Jesus Christ and His painful suffering. We cannot get away from the fact that Jesus died and He suffered for your sins and mine. Suffering is going through an intense time of pain, an intense time of, of difficulty. Suffering is when you're in turmoil. Some this morning are going through... Perhaps the turmoil, the suffering of a, the loss of a loved one. Some are going through the turmoil of, or the suffering perhaps of a bodily infirmity. Some who have arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis wake up every morning in deep, deep pain. They suffer. Some are going down through the, the valley of, of difficulties right now. Whatever it may be, suffering, when it's your suffering or my suffering, it would be a very, very hard, difficult thing. And I want you to notice Jesus Christ was someone familiar with suffering. He endured what you and I will have to endure. He, he experienced what you and I will go through and experience. And that gives us some consolation because, listen, there's nothing that occurred in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that occurred in his life that you and I cannot. If we go through that, we can realize that he empathizes and understands that. Notice some things about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go with me to Isaiah 53, notice in verses 3 and 4. Notice Jesus Christ experienced the pain of sorrow. Excuse me, the pain of rejection. The Bible starts off by giving us a description in Isaiah 53. This is aptly called the suffering servant chapter. And you'll notice in verse 3, Isaiah is describing Christ who had never seen him physically. He's describing the pain of rejection. The Bible says he is despised and rejected of men. Can you imagine the pain of rejection? I don't know if you've gone through rejection, but rejection is basically saying, I don't want you. I don't want anything to do with you. Rejection is a wife waking up in the morning, finding out her husband doesn't want to be married to her anymore. Or husband waking up in the morning, finding his wife doesn't want to be married to him anymore. Rejection is a little child realizing that mom and dad are more concerned about things than they are about him or her. Rejection is a painful thing. Rejection is something that burns in our hearts and burns in our soul and burns inside of our heart and causes us just a feeling of, of insecurity and inferiority and a feeling like nobody 
nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Notice if you would, Jesus Christ experienced the pain of rejection. The Bible says he was despised and rejected of men. On that Palm Sunday, as they took those palm leaves and they waved those palm leaves at Jesus and they said, hail to Jesus. And they said, they said, they said all Hosanna to him and they glory, they honored him as he rode on that donkey into Jerusalem. That same crowd just a few days later were mad and they were angry and with violence they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus understood rejection. He experienced the grievous woes that you and I will go through. Notice in verse 3 and 4 it says, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And notice this, he was acquainted with grief. I want to remind you this morning, whatever your rejection you've experienced, he's gone down there. He's experienced these grievous woes. He's experienced the pain of rejection. John chapter 1 verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came unto his own, his own received him not. I remind you this morning, Jesus Christ experienced rejection of his own kinsmen. He was a Jew. And to be rejected by fellow Jews was a bad thing. I mean, he was like a man, like, where do I fit? You ever been in that place? Nobody wants you? Where do I fit? You ever, you ever been as a kid, you, you, you weren't as good in kickball and weren't as good in basketball, and you're always the last one chosen because they had to choose somebody at the end, amen? Or you were the one, they said, why don't you sit on the bench, and you felt like you, that, that, they don't want me. Or you're left out, and they would purposely forget you, you know? Jesus understood that he was rejected by his kinsmen. Notice he was rejected by the crowd, the crowd consisting of the chief priests and the elders and a large number of the Jews told Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. He was rejected by those same criminals. There were two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus and as they were both being, as all three were being hoisted up into the air and their crosses being their crosses being based inside that dirt and the thought occurred. Those two men next to Jesus, even though they were truly criminals, they, they in themselves, they rejected Jesus Christ. The Bible describes what they did to him, that they railed upon him. He experienced the pain of rejection. Notice again, the Bible says that he was despised and rejected of men. You may be at a place in life right now, you feel like you're rejected. You know, if you, you know, one of the, nuances of being working in america and probably another place in the world is that when you get past 40 things change you have a job you have a position you get paid so much and but you come to the stark reality that your employer realizes they can hire somebody much younger than you for a fraction of what they pay you and you get stuck somewhere you get demoted or they they phase out your department or they move the company away and you're trying to find your place i mean there's no feeling that's worse than being in your 40s and 50s and being very well experienced and good at what you're at and feeling rejection but i want to tell you this morning worse than job rejection and worse than marital rejection and worse than people rejection is the fact that our savior the god of all the universe the god who made all things by the by his finger the bible says by faith we understand that worlds were framed by the word of god so the things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. I remind you that the beginning, then the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I remind you this morning, the sale, that Creator of the world, Jesus Christ, was rejected by His own creation. Wow. He experienced the pain of rejection, but notice in these verses, he experienced the pain of remorse. It's one thing to be rejected. It's a whole different thing to go down the valley of sorrowing. Bible says he's despised, rejected men. Notice a man of sorrows. Can you imagine as Jesus, the creator of the world, the one who gives life, the, the devil has the power of death, Jesus Christ has the power of life, amen? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Imagine every funeral he attended. An incredible sorrow that went his soul. Can you imagine as he was there in the city of, approaching the city of Nain, a widow was following her, the, the, the coffin where her son was being carried, the last descendant of her family. She followed and she could hear the sorrowing in her heart. Can you imagine when Jesus came there to Bethany where, where uh, Mary and Martha were grieving the passing of their brother Lazarus and they were crying and in deep in their heart they said, Lord, if thou hadst been here. Even at that moment of sorrow, they doubted as to whether or not Jesus even had the power to bring Lazarus back. They understood that he said, I am the resurrection of life. And he that believeth on me, though you're dead, yet shall he. They understood that. They heard him talk about it. But even in their own hearts, they were experiencing such a sorrow. They lost their, their younger brother, their brother that they loved. And they were thinking, man, he won't be at our table anymore. They're feeling that remorse. But I want to tell you something this morning. Our Jesus not only experienced the pain of rejection, he experienced the pain of remorse. He was a man of sorrows in this and he was acquainted with grief. Imagine being in his household when Joseph passed. Imagine every funeral he went to as the creator of life that he could easily just grab the person by the hand and raise them up. But by God's will, there are only certain ones that he raised back up. He understood sorrow. Look again, something else. So surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But I want to tell you this morning, as much as you sorrow and I sorrow, as much as you grieve and I grieve, I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And Jesus loves. And I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, a Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. A powerful thought. The painful suffering included grievous woes. But you notice the painful suffering included the grueling wounds. The grueling wounds. Zechariah 13, 6, they wrote this, and one shall say, and what are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Would you notice we go from verses 3 and 4 and see a Savior who is suffering through rejection, suffering through remorse. Notice verse 5, though. Verse 5, Isaiah was given a foreshadowing of the wounds, of the punctures, of the impalement, of the pain Jesus would have. How many of you are like me when you have to get your blood drawn? If you don't know the phlebotomist, you ask the question, will this hurt? <laughs> you ever asked that question? Years ago, I went to get a blood draw, and I said, well, I'll just go to one real, real close by here. And, and I went to one in Castor Valley, and I was waiting in line there, and uh, one of our church members is a phlebotomist. I didn't know that church member was a phlebotomist there. By the way, phlebotomist, somebody draws your blood, okay? That's, another, that's a neat word for saying a vampire, amen, you know? Thank God they draw from your vein here, not your vein there, amen? The church member came out and says, Pastor, what are you doing here? And I, I was thinking, yeah, what am I, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, you see a church member there, you're thinking, okay, I hope this, if, if that's the person that draws from me, I hope they're okay, you know? And my wife, she doesn't have, my wife doesn't have very visible veins, hard veins. I've got good veins, okay, I, I can find, but she doesn't have good veins. But, you know, just the thought of somebody pricking you, you know? 
And so the church member said, uh, hey, I'll fix things. I'll draw your blood for you. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> and church member got in. You know how they do? They tap you like that, and they wipe some alcohol on it there. And then they get, they, they get that thing and tighten it up a little bit. I said, listen, I got my veins. I, did, I, just, I, I was pulling weights this morning. So my veins would come up, amen, you know. And they, they said, well, we can see it, but we need to tighten it up. And I looked at, I looked at her and I said, will this hurt? And I, praise the Lord. I'm not going to give you the name, but I praise the Lord. Didn't feel a thing. Amen. Didn't feel a thing. But Jesus felt everything. He felt it. Look at verse 5. It says, he was wounded. He was wounded. And may I remind you, put this in here. He was wounded voluntarily. He said over in John chapter 10, listen, John chapter 10, he says, I lay down my life myself. Nobody forced him, amen? I lay down my life myself. And these grievous wounds, he said, I was, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Brother and sister in Christ, I want you to understand, Jesus endured incredible punishment. He endured incredible pain for you and me. Imagine that night. What a long night that was. Betrayed by his friend taken captive by the chief priests and the elders, being mocked, being subjected to a kangaroo court. They illegally tried him. They found him guilty of crimes he never committed. There was perjury going on on that grandstand there, and nobody took a stand against all the perjury that was going on there. And Jesus was like a lamb, the Bible says, being brought to slaughter. He opened not his mouth. I don't know about you and me, but sometimes an injustice happens to you and me. We have to open our mouth. We have to speak on our behalf. Our Savior did not say a thing of all those terrible things they said about him. Next time you get criticized, remember, he opened out his mouth. Remember, next time somebody cusses you out, remember, he opened out his mouth. As the lamb brought to the shears was dumb. And there Jesus was there, and now they, they smote him on the back. And I want you to understand what he went through in those grueling wounds. The very first thing they did was Pilate said, well, I'm going to send him free, but I'm going to scourge him first. Scourge him for what? He did nothing. He did nothing worthy of scourging. He said, we got a scourge. We just want to satisfy the peace of the Jews that, that, that we took care of business here. And so they took him out and did what every man feared being subjected to. That was the Roman cat of nine tails. Stretching out his arms, exposing his back, his bare back. Listen, probably the only time in his humanity that he, he exposed his flesh to man in that nature. His back was, 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 was bared. And as they did so, they did like they always did. They took a man who had the Roman cat and nine tails, a, a long cord with nine long strips of leather attached to it. On each piece of, each piece of leather, they had mastered the craft of tying very, very tightly on either little balls of iron or sharp shrapnel. And their goal was not just to inflict pain. Their goal was to lacerate and to maim and to hurt and to put the, to put the, the scars on that man's back if he endured those 40 whips that he would never be the same. Listen, I want to tell you that the environment of that day was so demonized. It was so satanically charged. There was such hatred in the air. There was such a 
just a, 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 just a spitefulness towards Jesus Christ. So as he exposed his back and he was bent over, they began to whip him. They began to whip him. And each one drew more than a grimace. And each one was not, ouch. Each one was, oh. And any man, between the fifth and the tenth one, would break out in perspiration such he never had before because of the pain. It began with the Roman cat of nine tails. His back was torn to shreds. Even some believe you could visibly see his organs exposed from his back. But that wasn't the end of it. He's gasping for breath. He's trying to contain within as a man would try to do the pain he was going through. They bring him up and they mock and they strip his clothes off. Put a purple robe on him. They shamed him. They smote him on the face and they took a, they took some thorns and I don't know if this was, we don't know if it's pre-prepared. We don't know if this is something that they did often with people like that, but because that he, he announced himself as the king of the Jews, they basically took this, this, these thorns and they were very thick thorns and they made a crown out of them. They thrust into his forehead. They didn't just put it lightly on, they thrust it on his forehead. They thrust it with such force they wanted to make sure that it pierced his brow and it pierced his head. And I want you to understand, there's blood flowing from the wounds of his back and there's perspiration coming down his face. And mingled with the perspiration is the blood coming down his face. But that wasn't the end of it there. We've got the cat of nine tails and we've got the crown of thorns. There's a smoting on the face. Listen, Jesus by that moment in time is exhausted. He is exhausted. He couldn't even bear the cross himself. They found a man of Cyrene, his name being Simon, who happened to be coming through that town. And they thrust the cross of Simon. And Simon's just trying to process in his mind everything that was happening at that moment in time. And Simon's bearing the cross all the way to Calvary for Jesus. As Jesus stumbled and tried to make his way, probably being held and supported by, the, by, by those soldiers. And every now and then they kick him and they thrust him along because they just, look at you. Then the moment came. Put the cross on the ground. They spread him across that cross. One arm on one end and one arm on the other. And his feet down on the, on the, on the base of the cross. And they didn't tie him to the cross. They nailed him to the cross. I want you to imagine with me just a moment. When that first nail went in. It was, a, it was an unimaginable thud. There was a crunching of bones. A piercing of flesh. The explosion of blood. The basically today we would say that's inhumane. That's what they did to our Savior. Not just one hand. Both hands. By the way, it wasn't just his hand. Right here in his wrist. It took his feet and one foot over the other. Probably nails resembling a railroad spike. Thin enough that it could pierce. But strong enough that it would latch itself onto the wood. The same crunching 
piercing awfulness pierced his feet. I want you to understand this morning, our Savior endured those grueling wounds. He said in Isaiah 53, 5, notice again, with that being all said, he was wounded. For what reason? For our transgressions. What's a transgression? A line's drawn. I'm supposed to stay on this side of the line, and if I pass over that line, I've crossed a forbidden line. God has drawn a line in the sand, and He says, any disobedience is crossing over that line, and we cross over that line. That is a transgression. Punishable by law. He was bruised for our iniquities. We get our word depravity from the word iniquity. Any bruising you and I have ever had, if you've ever fallen, you ever run into anything, bruises are pretty ugly looking, amen? And they hurt. They hurt. And if you have... uh, you know, if you have health issues where you bruise more easily than others, you have to be very, very careful, right? But notice what it says here. He was bruised. I, I want to understand something. I can't prove this. But I believe he was hit with such force. He was beaten to such extremity. If you look at over here in Isaiah chapter 50, look at Isaiah chapter 50 with me for just a moment. I want you to see how terrible these bruises were. And then we'll go back to Isaiah 53. He says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked. Isaiah 56. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. Notice in Isaiah 52 verse 14. <coughs> As many were astounded at thee, his visage, his facial feature was so marred more than any man and his form more than the son's man. Listen, he was beaten to a pulp is what that's saying there. He was bruised beyond recognition. They didn't even recognize who he was. I mean, look at it again. He was, they were astonished. And they said, man, has any man ever been beaten as bad as the Lord Jesus? Hey, understand something this morning. Jesus did that for you and me. For your sins and mine. I'm not trying to gross anybody out. I'm just telling you reality. If you had been there and I had been there that moment in time, that's what you would have envisioned. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastised for our peace was upon. Listen, he was chastened for you and me. He took the Roman cat at nine tails. He was punished for you and me. And the Bible says by his stripes. I was talking about the wounds that were left as visible scars. See the grueling wounds. Here our Savior is suspended between heaven and earth on that cross. Only thing on him was a loincloth. Please understand, this is the creator of the world. This is the most high God. This is the Lord who's my shepherd. This is the Lord who's my righteousness. This is that little baby we, 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 we celebrate Christmas about who was the creator just as much in control of the world as a little baby as he was up in heaven. Suspended between heaven and earth. He could have called 10,000 angels and he didn't call them. There he suffered. I want you to know this morning, our Lord endured a painful 
suffering. But notice the second thing very quickly this morning. We see the painful suffering, but you notice in verse 6, we see the perfect substitute. You see, when I talk about this and you think about this, it wasn't Jesus that was supposed to be on that cross. It was supposed to be me. It was supposed to be you. You and I are the sinners. For the wages of sin is death. Every sinner is to pay for his own crime. Every sinner is supposed to die for his own sin. But Jesus took your place and mine. Look at Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. You know what they're saying? All of us are born with a rebellious, sinful nature. We're like sheep let loose. They go off and do their own thing. All we are like sheep that have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Bible says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Would you understand something this morning? Isaiah 53, 6. Jesus Christ was the perfect substitute for sins. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you notice some verses that deal with the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ? He took your place and mine. He said, could anybody else have taken our place? No. Notice in 1 Peter, the Bible teaches us here, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, the first thing we see is we see a sinless substitute. No one else could take your place in mind. Why? Because I am a sinner. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. No sinner can take the place of another sinner. Only a just man, a holy man, a sinless man, a man who's never sinned could take our place. And listen, that only candidate who could fit that description was Jesus Christ, God's Son. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, notice it says this, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Listen, 1 Peter 3.18 describes Jesus Christ, the just dying for the unjust. For Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Listen, the perfect substitute had to be someone that was sinless. And I'm thankful this morning that was Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus entered this world by way of a virgin birth. There was no human father. He was born sinless. He lives sinless. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he was made, made, sin, uh, made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. He was a sinless substitute. But notice, he was a suitable substitute. Look at verse 6 again. Isaiah 53, verse 6. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God had to find someone who could be the agent to take our place, who was sinless and met all the requirements of God's righteous demands. And guess what? Only one person met that demand, and that was Jesus Christ. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. God chose him as a suitable sacrifice. That's why Peter could say in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ has once suffered for sin. Hey, listen, in the Old Testament sacrifices, when you read through the book of Hebrews, in the Old Testament sacrifice, the high priest would go in once a year into the Holy of Holies and bring in a blood sacrifice, not just for the people, but for his as well. And that blood sacrifice would be a spotless lamb. It would be a lamb without blemish of the first year. But he had to, but this had to be done every single year because it was only sufficient for that one year. Listen, but when Jesus died for your sins and mine, it satisfied all of God's righteous demands because he was the suitable lamb of God. He was the lamb of God for sinners slain. No wonder John the Baptist would see Jesus walking the shores of Galilee and he, would, he had a happiness on his face and a joy across his face and a smile on his face. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Christ suffered for your sins and mine. Sin has to be paid for. 
And this morning, you're not a born-again, saved individual. Your sin has to be paid for. And right now, I have to say the bad news is, you have to pay for your sin. And there's not enough money that can pay for your sin. There's not enough wealth that can pay for your sin. There's not enough uh, prestige from someone else that can pay for your sin. Listen, the only way your sin can be totally and completely atoned for is by the fact that Jesus Christ took your place and died on the cross for your sin because all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why I love what Romans 6.23 says. It starts off by the bad news and says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 17th century, a soldier was found in England. A soldier was found guilty of some crimes. They were capital crimes. He was a young man. It's one thing for a man in his 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s to be punished for his crime, but a man in his early 20s, he's like a kid. And Oliver Cromwell says, Sir, tonight at curfew, the bell will strike. When the bell strikes, you're being put to death for your crimes. The man dropped his head. He was terribly shaken by the fact that he was found guilty of those crimes and that the king, Oliver Cromwell, says, you're going to have to pay for those crimes. The executioner, the political body, King Oliver Cromwell, many others assembled themselves at that town square ready for that man's execution. As the man was waiting there to be executed, they're waiting for the bell to ring. And as the man was up in the belfry and he pulled on the string of that rope, he pulled they, the, what they expected, the clapper of that bell, the clapper hit the bell and go, ding. Instead of a ding, the clapper was, the clap, the, the rope was pulled and the clapper met, but instead of a ding, there was a thud. There's nothing clanging against the metal. And they pulled again. They heard this heavy thud. And they pulled again. They heard a heavy thud. And they just kept hearing this thud. They said, something's going wrong up there. And somebody he said, hey, listen, there's something going wrong. There's something wrong with that clapper. Somebody go up there and check out that bell. And they went to check out the bell. And they found a lady hanging on to that clapper. They said, lady, what are you doing on there? She said, the king said at the sound of the bell, my fiancé would die. I'm keeping, I'm holding on to the clapper so he doesn't die. They pulled her off that clapper with much reluctance on her part. And her head was bruised and her hands were bloodied and her body was bruised up. And you could tell she was visibly shaking and blood coming off her hands because she used her hands to brace herself and she thudded against that metal. And Oliver Cromwell was an angry king and very, very anxious because he wanted to get that ordeal over with that moment of time. And he looked at that woman. He said, what are you doing? She said, listen, you said at curfew my, my lover would die. She said, I decided tonight I would give my life for my lover. And he said, he looked at her bloody hands and her bruised head. And he looked at her visibly shaking from all the pain. He said, woman, because of your sacrifice, curfew shall not ring tonight. I remind you this evening when Jesus died, this morning when Jesus died on the cross for you and me, curfew does not have to ring for you. He's a perfect substitute. But you notice something else. Look at Isaiah 53. In Jesus Christ, we see his painful suffering. Jesus Christ, we see a perfect substitute. What you notice in verse 10, 11, and I love this, what you notice the paternal satisfaction. 
We tend to forget about this. In verses 10 and 11, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord. Don't you want to please God? Amen. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And it put him to grief. And he says here, he says in this verse, he says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Notice verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Two words stand out in verses 10 and 11. The Lord was pleased and the Lord was satisfied. Listen, when Jesus Christ died for every sinner, there was paternal satisfaction. God's just demands for sins were satisfied on that day. Jesus Christ paid in full sin debt. When Jesus died on the cross, there were seven remarkable statements that he made. Statements like the one we read in Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is a repeat of Psalms 22. There are statements like I thirst. He looked at Mary, his earthly mother. He says, behold, thy son. He looked at John, John, his disciple, was the only one of the disciples there. And he says, behold, thy mother. He, he said later on, I thirst. But the very last statement is the one that registered in everyone's ears. Because I remind you at the sixth hour of the day to the ninth hour of the day, from 12 noon to 3 p.m., darkness covered the land. There was a solemnness that covered everyone. Yeah, there was still the jeering and there was still the railing, but there was a solemnness that covered that whole area. I mean, there was a soberness that nothing like that had ever happened before. And I remind you, whenever you read about darkness covering the land, the judgment of God is upon it. And judgment was being served on Jesus Christ at that moment. He was being judged for your sins and mine. He was dying for your sins and mine. He was shedding his blood drop by drop by drop for your sins and mine. And listen, when he came to the place where that very last drop was to had come out and the very last emotional pain he could go through was there and physical pain was there. Finally, our Lord, with one deep breath, because he could not breathe any longer and the crushing of the weight on his, on his lungs had taken his toe, he finally cried out three words, It is finished. God's work on the cross is finished. Sin has been paid for. Praise God, it's finished. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Praise God, God's demands for sins were finished. But it's even more powerful than that because the Greek word that was used for it is finished was one word. It was the word tetelestai. Tetelestai was used in every facet of Jewish and Greek society. When an artist would finish his sculpting and he would finish his artwork and he'd look at it, everything was done, he would look at it and he would say, Tetelestai, the work is completed. An architect and contractor would finish a building, it was all done, and the finishing touches were on it. They'd look at it and they'd assemble for the grand opening. They'd say, Tetelestai, it is finished. A financial transaction was completed and a debt was paid in full. Listen, the debtor could say to the creditor and the creditor could say to the debtor, Tetelestai is finished. And listen, Jesus seized upon a word that everyone knew in that society. It was a common word that was used. And at that moment, at that time, as he breathed his last breath, he shouted out so that all could hear that were assembled there on Mount Calvary. Tetelestai is finished. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't need to have a Jesus that keeps dying on a cross. It is finished on that day when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. It's done. 
It's paid for. It's a done job, amen. The paternal satisfaction. Don't you realize how much God loves you? Don't you realize how much God loves you and me? Take John 3, 16 with that in mind. For God so loved the world that he gave. You understand the word gave means the painful suffering. The word gave means a perfect substitute. The word gave means, not, not only that, it means the paternal satisfaction. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased, listen, can you imagine? That's, that's not God's nature, but God had to do that for the sins of all the world. And I want you to understand something this morning. It should have been me. It should have been you on that cross where those other thieves were. It should be you and I on that cross. No, it was Jesus who took our place and died on the cross for your sins and mine. The paternal satisfaction. The just demands of God were met. In the Bible, if you'll follow me, look at 1 John chapter 2 this morning. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this in verse 2. He is a propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> the word propitiation, we don't use it in our English language, but it's a very powerful word. It means he was the only acceptable payment price the only acceptable person that could die for your sins and mine. He's the propitiation for our sins. Nobody else could do it. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Look, look at 1 John 4.10. John uses it again. Here in his love, not that we love God. By the way, this morning, no matter how great your love is, God loved you more than you loved him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us. And he sent his son, notice, to be the propitiation for our sins. And the word propitiation is such, has such an encompassing meaning. But it basically means this. The only way God's justice could be satisfied for your sins and mine was when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine. And as horrific as it sounds, when he said those final words, it is finished, the transaction was completed. The sin debt was paid in full. Our sins are forgiven in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. God is satisfied. And by the way, you can be saved. As we close this morning, would you notice one last thing? We're done. We see the painful suffering. We see the perfect substitute. We see the paternal satisfaction. Would you notice one last thing? Would you notice a powerful salvation? Jesus didn't die because he had a sadistic mentality. Jesus died because he, had, because he had a Savior's mentality. Amen. Because he loved you and he loved me. Jesus did all that to die for you, provide you and me salvation. Salvation means you can have your sins forgiven today. In fact, better than that, you can have your sins forgiven right now. Salvation means not only forgiveness, it means they're buried in God's sea of forgetfulness right now. Salvation means you have the gift of eternal life right now. Salvation means you can be a part of God's wonderful family right now. As we consider that this morning, would you notice this powerful salvation? Salvation saves us from sin. Salvation gives us a life beyond this life. This life is a temporary life. We're not talking about a temporary life. We're talking about eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And so you notice as we close this morning, several things. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8 and 9, But God commendeth His love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand something? We are the condemned. We are the sinners. But Christ took our place. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So what, is, what, what makes salvation so powerful? Here's what I'll tell you and I'm done. Number one, salvation is powerful because salvation is individual. Romans 10, 13. Would you look at that? For whosoever, who's that? Everybody in this room. Everybody in Santa Rita jail. Everybody in a third world country. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is powerful because it's individual. It meets you and me right where we're at right now. I wonder this morning, there's somebody here who's ready to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Salvation is individual. But notice, secondly, salvation is immediate. Look at Romans 8.1. <clears throat> There is therefore tomorrow. Is that what it says? There is therefore next week. Is that what it says? There is therefore a time to be determined. TBD. No, that's what it says. There is therefore now. Now. No condemnation. No more judgment for sin. No suffering in hell. No going there. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. How do you get to Christ Jesus? Get him in your heart. Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life today to save me from my sins. Salvation's individual. Salvation is powerful because it's immediate, but notice salvation is powerful because it's an invitation. Revelation twenty two seventeen, as you close out the book of Revelation, would you notice the very last thing our God says to us? Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride saying the bride is the church. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know what? This morning, here's how, here's how powerful salvation is. It's an invitation. Just come. Just come as you are. Will he take me? Come as you are. Just as I am without one plea. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. It's powerful. Because it's right where you're at. Here, here's salvation. It's a contract God's written. And it's signed by God in the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. You can be saved now. You can be saved from all your sins. You can have the gift of eternal life. You can have, you can have, you can become a son of God. All these things and much more. You can be accepting the beloved. But the faith part is at the bottom of the, of the, bottom of the contract, there is a signature line. And your signature on that line says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again for the dead. And I take Him right now to be my Savior. And you're willing to sign that line that says, I take Him right now. That's the only way the contract could be consummated. It's yours. You've got to buy faith. Take it to be yours. It's not enough to be 50% sure I'm saved. 
It's not enough to be 75% sure I'm saved. It's not enough to be 98% sure I'm saved. It's not enough to be 99.9999999999% sure you're saved. You've got to be 100% sure you're saved. The only way you can do that is by simply calling on the name of the Lord to save you from your sins. As we read the rest of this, look at Isaiah 53 and we'll close. says in verse 10 and 11 again, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. You know, that's every person that believes on Jesus Christ the Savior. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know what that's saying to me this morning? God has an open invitation Jesus Christ stands here to this congregation with open arms to receive anyone and everyone who will say, I want to take Jesus now to be my Savior. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, God was giving him a foreshadowing of what we read in Matthew 27. Christ dying for your sins and mine. There was the painful suffering. Jesus Christ had to endure the grievous woes. Jesus Christ had to receive the grueling wounds. He's the perfect substitute. He was a sinless substitute. He's the only suitable substitute. No other man could die for you because it had to be the God man. Jesus Christ. There's the paternal satisfaction. God the Father said, I'm pleased with what he did. And there's a powerful salvation. He invites any today who are not saved to come to him. I have two things I want to say. One Brother and sister in Christ, may what all that Jesus did for us, would you ask him to revive your heart this morning? Not to stir you of the horrificness of his death, but to stir you with joy that Jesus Christ, we're to look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He doesn't want you to languish as a Christian. He wants you to live in victory because of what he did for you. You can live in victory today. Because he lives, you shall live also. Secondly, if you're not certain you're born again and saved, this church and I invite you today to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Come just as you are. Say, Jesus, I take you as my Savior. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I want to be saved today. Get saved today. Ask Jesus to take away your sins. Make today be the day that you have your second birthday, the day that you are born again into the family of God. Our Father, this morning, thank you for our congregation being in attendance and listening so carefully and so lovingly, Lord, to this <clears throat> reminder from Isaiah 53 and Matthew 27, all that Jesus did for us. And now, Father, today we thank you for a Savior who suffered for us, who was the perfect substitute who received the paternal satisfaction but now offers to us without any reservation a powerful salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many Christians would say today, Pastor, God spoke to me today and I know there's much more with my life I can do for the Lord than it's being done right now. And God reminded me today of how much Jesus died for me. Please pray for me today. Please pray for me that I'll live for Christ and exalt. And God bless you. Who else would say, pray for me that I'll live for Christ? I should. 
The Bible says that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and gave himself for them. Listen, Jesus did not die in vain. Don't live your life in vain. He gave his all. Don't give him a piece of your life. Give him all your life today. Christian friend, the death of Christ is a constant reminder. He gave everything he did, everything he was, so that you can enjoy real life. Then how many would say today, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be saved. You said salvation is powerful. You said salvation is individual and salvation is immediate. But it also says salvation is an invitation. God invites you to be saved. God will not force his salvation on you. You have to take it. There's some man, some woman today would say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved today. I want that gift of eternal life. I want to be certain that my sins are forgiven and washed away. I want to take Jesus right now to be my Savior. There's someone like that today. Someone would raise their hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to take Jesus right now to be my Savior. Who else this morning? Who else today? I want to take Jesus to be my Savior. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be saved today. I want to take Jesus now to be my Savior. Anyone else? Anyone else? Very quickly. Who else would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to take Jesus right now to be my Savior. Anyone else this morning? Christian friend, a moment I give the invitation. Come to him. He never turns anybody away. He never rejects us. He never refuses. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he's never turned you and me away. He beckons you to come to him this morning. You come today to receive the finished work of Christ in your life. Salvation, which can set you free from all your sins. Now, Father, today, use invitations. People are being counseled and comforted and encouraged. Use your scriptures this morning to work in our hearts that you might be glorified. Give courage now. Help us not to sit in our way and stuck in our ways, but we have ears to hear, to obey what the Lord has said, and to come forward this morning to give our concerns to you. Thank you that we can leave our burdens at Calvary and, and that we thank you today that Calvary is a reminder to us all that Jesus did for us and help Christians today decide, I'm going to really live for the Lord. Bless this invitation time, we pray now in Jesus' name. Let's stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Brother Vaughn sings, I want to invite you to come this morning. We have altar workers who are here to pray with you, to receive you, to help you. Families come today. Couples come today. You need to come today. Would you find power in Jesus Christ? Would you find his power sufficient for your, your struggles and your grief? Are you grieving? A Jesus that never wept could never take away your tears. You're grieving today. You're going through rejection. You're going through remorse. I've got good news for you. Jesus is there for you. Jesus does care. And Jesus extends that invitation to you. Why don't you come this morning? Need to find power to go on for the next week? You can find power in Jesus. He's there for you. Take him right now. We'll sing another stanza. We invite you to come. Prayer is powerful. Through prayer, God can help us. Time alone with God can help us. This could be a life-changing moment. Don't leave the same way you came in. Let's leave differently that the Lord is magnified through our life. Would you do that? Father, thank you for your mercies that are great and that are free. And thank you that Jesus laid down his life voluntarily for every sinner and now this morning as we the word has been preached, I pray you take the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Let it do an abiding work, continue to do an abiding work in each of our hearts. And that we would continue in the word which is spoken. Lord, we pray even as Paul said that we'd receive help of God to get us through the next moment, the next hour. Bless our congregation, we pray, for all that's been said and done. Help those who are being counseled with that they're not sure they're saved, that before they leave today, that they'd accept Christ as their personal Savior. Thank you for the strength that you give. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.